don't know if y'all are note or not, but we are blessed to have Jason Bond. I he want we I was just when we were singing that first song and he's just tearing it up over there. I thought, man, that's that's good. You know, I'm glad we got him here. Well, okay, good to have you here tonight. Anybody not get a handout? I've got a looks like there's a couple down here. And uh anybody? Okay. Well, all right, tonight I want to talk to you about how to be the person God wants you to be. Uh, you know, and believe me, I'm not going to spend a whole lot on each point. It's a lot of different scripture. I'm getting a little bit of, may need to cut this back a little bit, uh, Jerry, if you would. Okay. How to be the person God wants you to be. I'm going to give you 15 things. They're all going to start with the word be. So here we go. Number one, where it all starts, the foundation. Number one, be saved. You'll never be the person God wants you to be unless you're saved. So, number one, be saved, Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just acknowledge that you're a sinner. Thomas did a great job this morning giving us the plan of salvation. Uh, be saved. Number two, once you're saved, to be the person God wants you to be, be willing to be different. Be willing to be different. As long as you're just like everybody else in school, at work, wherever else, you'll never be the person God wants you to be. God wants you to be different. He calls us a peculiar people, doesn't he? Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We were talking about this in our D group on Thursday. The word conformed. How many of you, how many of you know what chili con carne is? Chili's with, with meat. If you learn to know it in Spanish, that little C-O-N means with. Well, he says, be not with the form of this world, but be ye transformed. A little prefix, trans, T-R-A-N-S. Hearing a lot of that word today, not necessarily the best way. But a transportation means to go from one place to another. Takes what it takes you. Be not, be transformed. Be changed. Be a different person. Don't be like the world with the world's form, but be different. And how do we do that? By the renewing of our mind. We gotta think differently than the world thinks. You know, when I was a youth pastor for many, many years, I'd use that verse and I'd say, kids, you gotta think differently than your peers think. Most of them. Okay? They're in it for themselves. They're in it for the world. They're in it for pleasure. They're in it for good grades. That's great. You ought to make good grades. But we make sure that we're not thinking and we're 
billions of dollars are spent a year trying to get you to think a certain way. It's called advertising. The, the, they have learned that demographic, like 18 to 35, they say. They say if they can get a person who's going to drink beer to start drinking a certain kind when they can first start off, that's what they'll be all their lives. And so they pour money to trying to convince kids turning eight or 20, 18 or 21 years old, whenever they can legally drink, to drink this brand. And we're TV, all kinds of things. This is the way to look. This is the way to dress. This is the car to drive. You know, if you're going to be cool, if you're going to be this, if you're going to be that. And they spend billions of dollars to affect your mind. And we end up being just like everybody around us. We think the same way. We do the same things. How are we different than our neighbors, than our co-workers, than our uh Mates, schoolmates, be willing to be different. Number three, First Peter one fifteen says, "But as he who called you is holy, so be ye holy in all your behavior. Be holy." Now that you know, God is perfect, but God knows He doesn't expect us to be perfect. But as a lifestyle, as a goal, we ought to want to live a holy life. And a lot of that has to go back to the other thing of what we put into our mind. Be holy as God. Our desire, our goal, our motivation, our, you know, we ought to be wanting to be holy as holy as we possibly can. Somebody may call you a holy roller. You, you know, holy Jeff. I sort of got that sometimes because I didn't go out drinking on the weekends, and I didn't go to this place, and I didn't do that as a teenager. You know, I was basically school and band and church. That was my life, you know. But on the weekends, a lot of kids were going to different places and uh, drinking and partying and living it up. I didn't do that. And so sometimes I sort of got, you know, called face. C.S. Lewis great English philosopher said how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. If even 10% of the world's population had it, holiness, would not the whole world be converted and happy before a year's end? A Mother Teresa, good Catholic, I don't know if she was saved or not. I hope she was, went to heaven. It would be a shame if somebody who did as much good as she did went to hell, wouldn't it? But anyway, she said, our progress in holiness depends on God and ourselves, our, on God's grace, and on our will to be holy. So, be holy. Number four, be courageous. Nehemiah 4.14, they had come back out of captivity, starting to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. All the neighbors around there didn't like it. They didn't like that they were going to rebuild the walls. And so they were feeling threatened by these people around them. They were trying to keep them from doing that. Nehemiah 4.14 says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be ye not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and terrible. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. 
He said, be courageous. Remember God. As we sing that song. Of whom shall I be afraid? When we've got the God of angel armies on our side. Be courageous. Number two. I mean, number five, rather. Be a leader. Number two on this screen. Be a leader. First Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, Be followers of me, even as I also of Christ. And sort of what's sort of understood here, he says, I am following Christ. I'm a leader. And you just follow me. Follow my example. And then you have for people that you're leading. You know, all of us are leading somebody or something. You say, well, I don't have anybody following me. Oh, yeah, you do. It may be your little brother or sister. It may be a friend. It may be somebody around you. But somebody is looking at you. And you need to be a leader in the right way to the right things. Don't shirk back from it. And then he goes on that passage and he talks about the family structure. He said that Christ is the head of the man, man's the head of the wife. And then, of course, we know that the mama sort of down there and the children's are there. And you say, well, who, I'm the baby. Who have I got over me? Well, the dog. Somebody, you know, somebody you're responsible for. So be a leader. Number six. This is going pretty quick. Be careful about friendships you make. Be careful about friendships you make. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Again, when I was a youth pastor, I used this verse. Talking about kids about their dating. Who are they going to date? You ought not date an unbeliever. At all. Period. Because it may lead to more than just dating. And so you ought to be, what is a yoke? Well, have you ever seen? Ox cart, it's got a couple of oxen here. And they got this big wooden thing putting them together. They can't go separate ways. They're going to have to go the same way. And if one of them, whichever one's the strongest, that's probably the way they're going to go. If they've just turned loose on their own. And when you yoke yourself up with somebody, whoever's the stronger one is going to lead the relationship. And that's why you as a Christian have no business linking yourself up with an unsafe person, even if they're the best person in the world. Because they're going a different direction. They're whole, they're going to hell. They're not going to heaven. You say, well, I can win them to the Lord. How many girls have said that? Oh, but he's so cute. I can get him saved. Yeah, right. Doesn't happen. Be you not. But anyway, that's, you know, we often talk about that in marriages and dating. But that's true in every area of life. Business partnerships. Don't go into business with somebody that's unsaved. You know, because they're, again, their philosophy and their ideas are completely different. Uh, whatever it may be. But, you know, that's even true in church. In our church family, in our church relationships. Romans 16, 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Don't yoke up. Don't have friends in the church who are 
gripers and criticizers and backbiters and people who are going to, their, their philosophy is a different way. Don't be best buds with them. Not that you can't go out to have supper or go to eat or have a fella go to a youth activity or something, but be careful about hanging around those people and letting them influence you. You've heard the saying, one rotten apple spoils the barrel. Unfortunately, it doesn't work the other way around. You know, I've had a youth group that, you know, pretty good and get one little, one bad kid come in and pretty soon, not long before the attitude of the whole group changes. Be not unequally yoked. Be careful about friendships you make. Is that the time to be through or what? <laughs> Number seven, be obedient. Be obedient. Psalm 32, 9, be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near to thee. Say, so don't be stubborn and disobedient like them. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Specifically talking about uh, your spiritual leadership, your pastor and others. He said, they're, they're watching over you, and they're going to have to give an account for their leadership of you and how they what they do. And he said, don't make them have to do it, man, just sorrowfully, without joy, with grief. Unfortunately, you know, in 45 years of ministry, there are some folks, if you ask me, I just have to shake my head. Say, I, you know, I just hate the way they turned out. I just, you know, they just so disappointed, you know. Uh, it gets very discouraging sometimes to pastors and others in the ministry, you know, when they work, pour their lives into people and they kick and then they turn on them or stray or whatever. There's a story about a preacher quit the ministry after 20 years, became a funeral director. And they said, well, why in the world did you do that? He said, well, I spent three years trying to straighten out John, and John's still an alcoholic. Then I spent six months trying to straighten out Susan's marriage, and she filed for divorce. And then I spent two and a half years trying to straighten out Bob's drug problem, and he's still an addict. Now at the funeral home, when I straighten them out, they stay straight. <laughs> you know, uh, hopefully that we won't have to drive our pastor to have a funeral. Today. <laughs> Number eight, be happy with the way God made you. Be happy with the way God made you. Isaiah seven four. Seven, I'm sorry. Isaiah sixty five eighteen says, "But be ye glad and rejoice forever." In that which I create. Behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. Let's talk about Jerusalem there, but us. The way we are is no accident. We made the way we were made. You know, I don't see my brother Phil. He used to upset <laughs> my granddaddy. My granddaddy was shorter than me. Mr. Monroe. Big Daddy Monroe. We called him Big Daddy, but he wasn't. And uh, he was he was short, and his, you know, whereas my daddy's side of the family was a little, a little tall. And uh, but we all got 
Big Daddy's height. So we're all sort of short. And uh, I could be upset with God. Say, God, I'm so mad that you didn't make me like tall like Thomas or skinny like Thomas. You know, God made me the way he made me. I'm just that way that God made me. In Psalm 139, 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. I turned 67 yesterday. That's For some of you, that's not so old, but for me, it sounds old. (laughs) It's not. I know now that it's not. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I could be upset with some of the little... Thankfully, I don't have any real major physical issues. You know, I got a lot of genetic things going on in my family that I'm suffering with, you know. And that just that's part of the genetics, part of it. And I can't be just upset with God. God's made me the way, this is the way I am. And, you know, sometimes especially, maybe not as bad now, but when you're y'all's age, they're looking around at different kids and how they're growing and all this stuff. They, man, and they just sort of feel like they're just not as pretty, not as, you know, whatever. Well, God's made us, and we ought to be thankful for the way that God made us, even as we age. Some of us wish we, you know, my hair turned gray a long, you know, a long time ago. I always say I didn't have any until I came here, but, you know, that's, <laughs> I always tell David, honey, look who's the great person in our relationship. She ain't got hardly a lick of hair. You know, she covers it up sometimes. <laughs> but uh, don't, don't tell her I told you that. But <laughs> I will edit that part out of the thing now. She would. <laughs> She's out She's out of town. Anyway, uh, so y'all made me forget what I was going to say. Right? Yeah, just be happy with the way you are. Be happy with the way God made you. You know, these are magnificent bodies, really. You really get to thinking about the way it is. You know, when when Apple is getting ready to launch a new iOS operating system or something, they'll send out what they call a beta or a new product. They'll first send out a beta and they have certain people that will use the product for a while to check out the bugs, to try to figure out what's ever wrong with it. And they never get everything. There's always still problems. And that's why every Tuesday night, Microsoft updates your computer. And you come in on Wednesday morning and you sit there and wait 30 minutes for it to update, you know, or something. You know, they have those betas. You know, God made a perfect body the first time. He didn't have to make a beta. Well, let me do this and see how this works. No, it was perfect the first time. Be thankful for the way God made you. Be happy. Number nine, be merciful. Luke 6, 36, be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. You know, I, driving. There's a lot of unmerciful people. You know, 
Like they never make a mistake. Like they never pull out in front of anybody. You know, whatever. Like, you know, like somebody, well, you hurt my feelings. But you didn't mean to. But yes, they just, you know, they just don't have any mercy on you. Thank, don't you, aren't you thankful for God's mercy? He's not given us what we deserve. He's merciful. Uh, someone said, mercy comes down from heaven to earth so that man, by practicing it, may resemble God. My wife, that's her spiritual gift, mercy. I mean, if somebody's hurting, she feels it just like they do. I mean, she, she'll break down in tears if she hears about something. When she thinks about something, you know, yes, she was telling me yesterday, uh, she was in a store somewhere, and a lady was, she was talking to this lady while her daddy was doing something. This lady was talking about all the issues and problems that she had been having and, and everything. Uh, David just even on the phone, just weeping as she was talking. She just feels that stuff. That's not me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I try to be, but I'm not always as good about it as I should. But we need to be merciful for people. Number 10, be kind. Be kind. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. To the degree that we're willing to forgive, God will forgive us for our sins and trespasses. Uh, and the story, this is, I think, took, took place back in the 1800s out west. A train was filled with tired people. Most of them had spent the day traveling through the hot, dusty plains, and at last evening had come, and they all tried to settle down to a sound sleep. Anybody ever ridden a train and tried to sleep or just rest? <laughs> Forget it. Airplanes are just as bad. Anyway, however, at one end of the car, a man was holding a tiny baby. And as night came on, that baby became restless and cried more and more. Unable to take it any longer, a big brawny man spoke up for the rest of the group. Why don't you take that baby to its mother? There was a moment's pause and then came the reply. I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. The baby's mother is in her casket in the baggage car. Well, there was a silence in the whole car. People just thought of how unkind that was. What an unkind thing to say. Then the big man who asked the cruel question was out of his seat and moved toward the man with the motherless child. He apologized for his impatience and unkind remark. He took the tiny baby in his own arms and told the tired father to get some sleep. Then in loving patience, he cared for the little child all through the night. That was being kind. Often we'll do things or say something that may be unkind, but we need to be willing to say, hey, I'm sorry. Do the kind thing. You never know. Somebody said, don't criticize a man until you've walked in his moccasins. You never know what somebody's going through. 
You know, I always tried to, when I was a school teacher, I always tried to remember when those kids came in and they were in the morning, you know, just not too, I, I always try to think, I have no idea what their home was like this morning. You know, these kids that come in on the bus sometimes, you know, they may be a little rowdy, and they may be, uh, and you never know what's, what's going on in their lives. And we need to be kind and understand. Number 11, be willing to admit when you're wrong. Someone once said the first six words that a man ought to love when he's married, when he gets married, Thomas. First three, I love you. The second three, I was wrong. No matter what happens, no matter if you are right, you say, I was wrong. And that will help you have a happy marriage. Ephesians 4, 26 says, be ye angry and sin not. You can be angry and not sin if you angry, get angry about the right things. Unfortunately, most of us get angry about the wrong things. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, somebody said, my wife and I. When we got married, we made that commitment that we would obey that verse. We would not let the sun go down until we resolved everything. We spent a lot of sleepless nights, but uh, you know, we um, got things resolved. If you're wrong, admit it. And you know, say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Don't be proud. Yeah, just be willing to admit it when you're wrong. Number 12, be thankful. Be thankful. Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be ye Just be grateful. Not, I mean, be grateful for what God has done for us, but to other people. If somebody does something, say, thank you. You ever hold the door open for somebody at a store? And they just walk out and don't even acknowledge the fact that you're holding the door open for them? Does that bother you like it sort of does me? Uh, boy, your mama didn't teach you the way my mama taught me. You know, say thank you. Be thankful. You know, Thomas brought a great message this morning. You ought to thank him for it. Thank your Sunday school teacher. Thank your pastor. Thank your boss. Said, well, if you only knew my boss. Well, even then, that's who God has as your authority. You put yourself under it. So be thankful for them. Be thankful. Don't be an ingrate. There's a lot of it. It's just amazing to me to get out among the public lots of time, just in stores and Walmart. I don't care where you go. People just can be so rude and unthankful for it. Just many things. Number 13, be alert. You say, what's alert? <laughs> Not be alert, but innocent. Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's us, okay? We're the sheep. Tomorrow when you go to school, when you go to work, sometimes when you go visit family, unfortunately, 
Hopefully it's not when you come to church. I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, but be ye therefore wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Lord, be on guard. There's all types of false teachers and things out there that look good, sound good, sound right, but they're not. Uh, there are people that Jesus called whited sepulchers. They look beautiful on the outside. Looks great. But he said inside they're full of dead men's bodies. You know, Got to be alert. Be That's why this is it's so important. Coming to church, Sunday school, degree. So you can get knowledge. You can be on, understand. You can be on guard for the, the Bible says, the wiles of the devil. The schemes. An old preacher one time said, you watch out for those willies of the devil. <laughs> Not willies, the wiles, his ways, his schemes. He is out to get you one way or the other. And you need to be alert, but you need to be innocent and gentle in the fact that, you know, just be kind about it, be sweet about it. But if somebody's trying to get you to do something you know you shouldn't do, just say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do that. No. Number 14, be steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved, beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Some folks just give up. How many people do you know that used to faithfully attend church, even serving, and then they just drop by the wayside? They don't persevere. They don't keep going. You know, some of mankind's greatest contributions have come from people who decided that no sacrifice was too large, no effort too great to accomplish what they set out to do. And they were steadfast in their goal. Edward Gibbon, anybody know that name? Spent 26 years writing the book, The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Twenty-six years it took him to write that. Noah Webster, you know what he's known for? The dictionary. Worked 36 years to bring the first edition of this dictionary out. 36 years. Wow, that's dead fast. And then it is said that the Roman orator Cicero practiced before friends every day for 30 years in order to perfect his public speaking. Thomas Edison, though, he did not technically invent the light bulb. We often say he invented the light bulb. But he came up with the first practical, affordable bulb for home illumination. He had to find just the right kind of filament that would be durable but inexpensive. And so he had in Menlo Park, New Jersey, had a, quote, invention factory. And they invented all kinds of things there, new things. They tested more than 6,000 possible materials till they finally came up with what would work. And at that time, it was carbonized bamboo that they found they could, they could, they could make them. 
And after that, just imagine what it would be like if we didn't have lightless electricity. But the fact that they were persistent, they stayed at it, even with a lot of failures. I mean, you look at some of the greatest inventors and entrepreneurs, and they fail and fail and fail and fail before they finally are success. In our spiritual life, in our church life, we need steadfast, unmovable people because winds are going to blow, pressures are going to come, and try to get us to move, to get us to stop, get us to do something else. Quit. And yet he says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You ever felt like give it up? Oh, I have. Believe me, I have. But we just got to, and sometimes we fall. And sometimes we get, you know, you just got to get up and go again. Got to do it. And here we are. Number 15. Last one, see. Almost done. Now, this one takes 40 minutes. No. <laughs> Just kidding. James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Be doers, not just hearers of the word. A lot of people were here this morning, heard some good preaching. A lot of y'all are here tonight. Whether you hear some good preaching may be debatable, but it is, most of it's just the Word of God, and you can't debate that. Now, the filler stuff that I stick in there may not be anything good, but at least the, the Word of God is. And they come in and they hear Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and then go out, and it's just like water off a duck's back, as they say. There's never any change, never any action. You know, there was a story in a, in a local newspaper that said that a bus driver became annoyed with his job because he had to wait seven minutes after every run near an open field, which litter bugs had made into an unofficial dump. You ever seen some place where a little like people thought that, that that was their personal dumping ground? You know, I mean, on the side of the road, you know, it's also like a, there, hit it home and back, go back there a little different way. And there's a bunch of tires on the side of the road. Like, well, that's one more way I'm going to get rid of them, you know. Anyways, he often thought that somebody should do something about that unsightly mess. Well, one day he decided, all right, nobody else is. So he decided to get out and pick up some of the tin cans and other debris which were lying all around him. That improved things so much that he was soon eager to complete his route and spend all of his free moments in cleaning up the area. When spring came, he was so enthusiastic about this project that he decided to sow some flower seeds. By the end of the summer... Many were riding to the end of the line just to see the park that this man had made in what was formerly a dumping ground. He saw something that needed to be done, 
And so he did it instead of waiting for somebody else to do it. It, it, It's sort of like a lot of churches. There's a tremendous gap between preaching and practice. There are many who know what they believe, and it causes us to wonder if they really believe what they know. If you happen to notice the sign out there, but the final thought of this message on the sign. What we do reveals what we really believe. If you ask somebody, most of us in this church, do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Oh, yeah. Do you believe he could come back at any moment? Yes. Do you believe that you're going to give an account to him for what you've done in this life since you got saved? Oh, yeah. What are you doing to show that you really believe it? I mean, you believe that Jesus could come right now. There'd be a lot of folks that'd be embarrassed, I'm afraid. If they're out doing something out somewhere, not in God's house. But they say they believe that. You know, our actions, the old saying goes, speaks louder than words. What we do reveals what we really believe. What we do should be reflected on what we hear in God's Word. Be ye doers, not just hearers. Of God's word. Well, there are 15 things that will help us be what God wants us to be. But it all starts with being saved. I would doubt very seriously there's somebody here tonight that's not. But you never want to take a chance and just say, if you're not saved, if you don't know if you died today, I don't care how young you are, how old you are, we could all die at any moment. You never know. You hear about people all the time. People that seem to be very healthy drop dead with a heart attack or something. Or pull out here and get in a wreck. Just, you know, you worry about that. I think about that all the time. You know, we take our lives into our hands every time we get behind that car steering wheel. We need to be ready to know that our eternity is certain. And then once we made sure of that, it'd be awfully, you know, we, August 23rd, we had a new grandbaby. I'll go about that. She wasn't due till October 28th. So she's a little early. Two pounds, 13 ounces. She's been in intensive care. Getting stronger, getting bigger. She's up about four seven, four eight now. So that's not that a lot of babies born, you know, that size. So she's not too far once they can get her to feeding her, you know, feeding right and stamina. So she continually suck on, a, you know, nurse or whatever. It won't be too long. But it'd be awfully sad if she never got any bigger. 
that was the extent of her life. Uh, I heard no one said when I was a teenager, we had an evangelist came in and he had a never saw him, but they had a he had a son. He'd gotten like to be up like age wise. I don't know. He was like thirty years old, but he had never progressed past an infant physically. And it was just you know just that's sad. And but unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians that are that way. They're born again, but you know, I had I had a preacher one time, one of my pastors. He believed that when we get to heaven, our physical body, I mean our body there, our new glorified body, will be in direct comparison to how old spiritually we are down here. And I don't like that. In other words, if we get, we become an infant, we're born as a Spiritual baby. And then how much we grow spiritually. He believed our heavenly body would be like that and we would have to grow up in heaven. I don't know. That's so funny. But unfortunately, that's a lot of people. If we could really see the spiritual age of people sitting around us. You know, Paul said there were some people in the church that he talked to. He said, you can't handle real preaching. You can't handle the meat of the word because you're still babies and we just got to feed you the milk, the beginning things, the foundation, the early things that you learn when you're a Christian because you never got past that. And some of these are things that are sort of on path to be just being saved. And uh, I encourage you to go back and read over those things and just say, how am I doing in this area? How am I doing in that area? Let's pray. Father. Thank you that we, you love us enough, Lord, just like we love our children. We bring them into the world. 